Welcome to Truth of the Spirit. I'm Patty Bruner. Tonight we continue our series on the Eucharist and the other sacraments with the Sacrament of Holy Orders. Our speaker tonight, Ken Hunter, is part of the Patriarch House team and we are so glad to have him to speak about this sacrament as he is discerning the diaconate and will be receiving this sacrament, the Sacrament of Holy Orders, in the near future. So please join me in welcoming Ken Hunter. Welcome, Ken. Thank you very much. Uh, my talk tonight is on the Sacrament of Holy Orders. But before I get into that, has anyone been doing um, a couple of the Sherry Waddell's uh, Fruitful Disciples, studying the charisms and going on in that? Who's, anybody been doing that? It's, it's, it's really quite uh, eye-opening and really reveals a lot within yourself. Well, we've been doing it as part of the diaconate class. Um, we've been actually is going through and we as we've been we've been studying them We've been working on them and trying to develop that within ourselves So one of the interesting things for me was learning the distinction between gift from God and charism um, They're not the same thing uh, And that was one of the things gift from God is something that God gives us the ability to use a charism is a very focused and developed. So I started looking at it and I said, gosh, what is my charism? My charism has got to be talking a lot. Um, and then I was like, well, okay, so that's maybe not a charism because it's not focused on building the church. So, so it's probably a gift from, well, maybe it's not a gift from, maybe it's a character flaw. So, um, <laughs> uh, um, so, uh, We'll see how long this goes tonight. Uh, anyway, so the, the interesting part, and I'll get to this, so by, uh, we've gone through the study and my charisms of coming out, I, I don't know if anybody can guess, but the charisms that are coming out are teaching, writing, preaching, and a couple of others, but, uh, which means, well, here I am. <laughs> uh, so uh, anyway, uh, so. It's really good. The, 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 uh, I'll talk a little bit as I kind of, I'll bounce back in tonight talking a little bit about holy orders and then talking a little bit about my, the diaconate class and kind of insight that we're, that we're going through so far. Uh, coincidentally, uh, in a couple years, we will have an actual full master's level course just on the sacraments. And so I'm really looking forward to that uh, a couple years away. So um, it'd be really interesting for me to come back after we've done that in a couple years and, and kind of say, hey, here's what, a, in addition to what we had then, here's what I've learned. Or even, God willing, I do, I do uh, uh, receive holy orders. Then I could even just talk about how that experiences and how the, what it actually feels or experiences like. So uh, another thing as we're going through, the, the diaconate class, and you've probably talked with the whole, some of the others, that the, the workload that we have is, is pretty heavy, uh, particularly dealing with all the other things that we have. It's, 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 uh, and in fact, um, I was actually, they, they tell us, well, don't do really anything. Just kind of pull yourself out of ministries, pull yourself out of anything. And so when Patty came to me about doing this talk, I was worried. I, I was, well... I don't know if I'll be able to do it that week because of work. I don't know if I could really do this. And, and, and Patty was, don't, don't worry. The Lord said you will, so it's going to work out. And, <laughs> and uh, so, 
uh, coincidentally, so I moved my date and because of work and then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, I, the, the work changed. The, 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 the date that you said was good was, is going to work out. But all the studies in, don't work. And, and, and this week has been the least amount of studies. The way the syllabus lined out, it was, I've already done all my work. It, it was just, a, and I was like, you know, <clears throat> we keep saying trust in the Lord. And, and he keeps showing us it's true. And at some point, I'm really going to do it. Um, we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> just accept and don't stress. I don't know. It's how many times. Just accept it. Uh, so anyway, back. Uh, let's get back. I'll talk a little about holy orders. So the, I'm going to cover, there, there's five different aspects that I want to talk about uh, with holy orders. But first, I want to kind of cover I just said just a tiny bit of groundwork before I hit those and that is is I know I'm the sixth talk uh, in dealing with the sacraments and unfortunately haven't been able to come to the others because of that workload um, but uh, I just wanted to hit a little bit about it and, and I'll start with Psalm 115 uh, not to us Lord not to us but to thy name give glory uh, and, and really why I say that is because a lot of the sacraments have, that's the aspect. Um, it's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about what the, it, it's about our relationship with God. It's about our, our aspect of what, how we're interacting with the Lord, how we accept the Lord, and even to not stress and to accept His will. The sacrament is an ex external exhibit of an internal change. I was I, I heard an example once. It was uh, it's kind of it, it's interesting. It it's it's like a stop sign that makes you stop. Uh, it's it's a sign that way, but it actually has power that's intrinsic and it's very effective. And what our aspect of is, it's not magic. It's not like oh here's the magic thing I need to do and God will do what I want Him to. Um, it's just the exact, it's us accepting God's will, and it's our partaking of that. So once again, the focus, it's our partaking and accepting God's will and the change that that incurs in us. Um, that's, and that's exactly what Holy Waters is all about, is us accepting God's will and the change that it impacts in us. Uh, one of the other things that's interesting about uh, sacrament, and I love hearing this, is a lot of times people say, where does the Bible say sacrament? And it's like, well, when you're reading the English uh, version of it, it, you may have to read between the lines, but when you understand what sacrament is, it's oath. It's an oath. It comes from, that's where the Latin word comes from, and then it's a lot more powerful. Now go back and talk about and look at God's oaths, commitments, covenants, and you'll see it all over the place. Sacrament is just that. So let me, let me continue on. Uh, so what is holy orders? So holy orders is the sacrament through which the mission entrusted by Christ to his apostles is continued to be exercised in the church to the end of time. It is the sacrament of apostolic ministry. Through it, men are marked with an indelible character and constituted sacred ministers. And there are three degrees, just three, bishop, priests, 
and deacons, bishop, episcopate, priests, presbyterate, and deacons, diaconate. And the purpose of it is to teach, sanctify, and govern the faithful in the person of Christ the head. So let me talk about when my, as my path, which is still going towards that at this moment. Um, it started uh, seven years ago. Uh, seven years ago, and uh, Rick and, and I were in the Christ Renews His Parish. We did the work there. Um, as I was do doing that work, I started dealing, our spiritual advisor was Deacon John Pate. And I started talking with him one-on-one, -on -one, and we met regularly and had a conversation. And it was through all these conversations that I came to the realization that I was being called to the diaconate seven years ago. And, and, and I started, and at that, I was like, I, I just feel I'm being drawn towards this. And I said, um, I said, Deacon, but I, I just don't feel worthy. And his response was, well, you're not. Um, <laughs> But luckily, he then continued to talk and said, but, <laughs> and it, he said, but none of us are. And it, but nobody is worthy of being that. Of, 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 and he says, it's not about worthiness. It's about following God's will. It's about giving up to God's will. And the discernment process to understand, is that really God's will for me? Is this is how am I supposed to carry out what the Lord wants me to do? So after, so that was many years before the process even began for the official process. So the official process for the diaconate is six and a half years. Um, there is, after you sign up, there's about nine months of discernment. So it's just discernment classes where you go, meditate, prayer, share, and kind of go through the process to discern, is this really what is meant for you? There's after that, there's about nine months of application, which is a lot of busy work followed by a lot of waiting of which discernment needs to continue. And discernment actually continues all the way up until you are ordained. And then you discern about other things after that. Um, but discern, you uh, concern, they're actually in, in uh, that was one thing I remember in, um, uh, Deacon Ronnie said he actually had someone discern one month before ordination that that was not right for them. But they had discerned that they were meant to go through the process. It wasn't, and that was, and that's exactly where uh, my wife and I are, is we, we keep going until we discern and, and we take one step at a time. At the very beginning, we were like trying to fit all the pieces together. How's this all going to work out? And it just was too overwhelming. But when we said, well, let's just take one step at a time, and we said, well, yes, we need to take one step. And that's exactly where it is. We take one step at a time and discern, is this, is, is, does the Lord want us to take another step in this direction? And so far, we'll keep going there. We'll find out as we go along. I have finished, uh, after that nine months of discernment, we then go into five years of class formation. I finished the first year, which is more about uh, formation, and I've begun now in the second year of five, which is the, which the last four years are um, essentially master's level coursework, uh, studying theology, and then continuing going in a whole bunch of different realms. 
uh, where I am currently now is we are studying church history. Um, and I'll, <laughs> I'll just say uh, one, one thing about church history, it's just a little aside, is um, uh, as we study church history, it is not really the most uplifting thing. Uh, <laughs> as you look through all the years and all the things that we've done, gone through, mostly done to ourselves, uh, it, 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 a couple, couple things is, I've heard this before, and, and I really believe it now, is we have to be the Lord's church because there is absolutely no way that we'd still be around if it was all up to humans. Uh, it, it really convinces you. And it does, as you look at the issues of today, the, the, the scandals that are going on right now, you realize in the big scheme of things, we've been through a lot worse. We've been through a lot worse leadership. We've been through a lot worse direction and a lot worse attacks, and we continue to survive. We will survive now. We will continue forth because it's not based on these people who receive holy orders. It's based on the, per the person who gives us those holy orders. All right. Let me go back to those five aspects now. I'll start with, I want to hit the biblical roots of holy orders. Um, and, and I'll start with what holy orders is. Because when, when I was first coming into the church and going through RCIA years ago, uh, I heard holy orders, understood what it was, uh, uh, you know, oh, that's where you get ordained. Um, but then I said, well, orders, that just means, you know, here's your orders, kind of like military orders. You know, here's your, here's your paper, these are your orders, and go, go serve the bishop. And, and it wasn't until much later that I, or, maybe just not too long ago, that I, uh, that I realized that the order they're talking about is joining the body. You know, it's, it's, we hear this, and I was like, oh, you mean like an order of religious? Oh yeah, like an order of religious people. It's an organization. It's the body. It's a body or group, uh, and uh, and that's what it is. The sacrament of holy orders is accepting God's will to be part of that body or group. And uh, and there are three. There are three levels of holy orders, like I talked about. And so a holy order is being into one of those bodies. When we talk about, and I'll go forth, is really the study of holy orders is the study of the priesthood. A lot of it. And it, 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 so kind of as I'm talking through about holy orders, it's talking about priesthood. Um, and the original priesthood goes all the way back to the Old Testament, um, where the first priest that we encounter is Melchizedek. Yeah. Uh, who offers sacrifice of bread and wine on the behalf of Abraham. And that's in Genesis 14. And he symbolizes the permanence of priesthood. And you even go to Psalm 110 where it says, Like Melchizedek, you are a priest forever. When God chose Israel, he calls them to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a people who would offer God true worship. Within the people of Israel, God chose one of the twelve tribes, that of Levi, and set it apart for liturgical service. And the role of the tribe of Levi is to guard the Ark of the Covenant and to offer sacrifice and gifts for the sin, uh, people's sins. They also proclaim God's word and interpret the law of the covenant 
and lead the people in communal worship of God. These priests of the Old Covenant prefigure the priests of the New Covenant. Pretty much in the same vein, but continuing in the New Covenant. The priest of the Old Covenant finds its perfect fulfillment in the priesthood of Jesus Christ, who is the one mediator between God and us. Jesus' sacrifice of himself on the cross is a priestly act of perfect self-offering accepted by the Father and culminating in his resurrection from the dead so that as risen Lord and high priests, he content priest, he continues to offer salvation to all. And the letter to the Hebrews continues in contributing to the doctrine of priesthood. It connects Christ's priesthood with his human nature. And that is, every high priest is taken from among men and made their representative before God to offer gifts and sacrifices. That's from Hebrews 5. Melchizedek is the most important connection to holy orders. Christ's priesthood is compared to Melchizedek. It is even more obvious if another priest is raised up after the likeness of Melchizedek. Hebrews 7, 15. So what we have is this continuation, this, this aspect of going and it's serving, it's sacrifice. It's, it's in this case, acting, acting as the Christ head. Uh, coincidentally, one of the things, uh, one, there used to be actually four levels of ordination. And they got rid of the they got rid of the fourth because they realized what it was is as you go through and now that we there there's two types of deacon diaconate there's the permanent one is which I'm going for is that's as far as I'll go and it's it's an order but there's also as a as a as they're um a uh, man is going towards priesthood uh he is ordained a priest or excuse me, a deacon, a temporary deacon, before he is ordained a priest. Well, there used to be, as soon as he joined in his studies, he actually received a fourth order of ordination called the subdiaconate. But they really kind of got away with that and just started calling him an acolyte instead of an actual ordination aspect. But the whole point of, of this is to realize is that this whole idea of priest and the levels of priest is not a Catholic invention. It's not that something that we get together and said, you know, we'll just kind of make these people and call them priests and we'll have three levels. Um, it's based on what comes forth from the Old Testament and continues with the Jewish uh, tradition that was built up over all that time. In fact, one of the things a, a lot of times um, that uh, there's attacked as there. I remember this as somebody said that, uh, well, Paul, some of Paul's uh, letters have to be fabricated. They can't be real because he came up with this organizational structure that just was never around. Um, well, it was around. And, and actually, one of the great helps of that was the Dead Sea Scrolls because it basically, 200 years before Christ, delineated the same structure that was occurring in that Jewish community. So what we talk about with holy orders and accepting this is a continuation of God's salvation plan, prefigured from the beginning, and we are continuing it and carrying that on, and now we are doing it within the new covenant. So.
I'm going to go to the second part. And that is sometimes this gets, this is another confusion that people sometimes hear is that there are actual two participations in the one priesthood of Christ. Just as the whole of Israel was a priestly people, so is the whole church a priestly people. The church speaks about two priesthoods, the priesthood of all the faithful and the priesthood of the ordained. The common priesthood is exercised by unfolding of baptismal grace. The ministerial priesthood is rooted in the sacrament of holy orders and both priesthoods share in the priesthood of Christ. And so we, we hear that a lot is uh, talking about that, you know, um, priest, king, prophet. prophet. I just realized I got those out of order, but that's for everyone. But that's the ministry, uh, th that is the, uh, of the faithful priesthood of the, uh, not the priesthood of the ordained, that is for those that are ordained. So we are all share in the priesthood. While the two priesthoods are different from each other, they are interrelated. The ordained priest is at the service of the common priesthood and is the means by which Christ builds up and leads his church. Both the baptized and ordained are called to live a life of holiness, a life surrendered to God, a life of service to others. Both are called to participate in Jesus' saving work by living holy lives, by witnessing to gospel values. While every Christian, by reason of baptism, represents Christ and acts in the person of Christ, only the ordained priest represents Christ as head of his church, teaching, shepherding, and sanctifying God's people. The priest also represents the whole church and asks in her name when he offers the sacrifice of the Mass in his whole ministry, and hopefully in the way he lives his life. The priest is not a stand-in for Christ like a substitute teacher in school. The priest, by reason of his ordination, makes Christ present in the way similar to the way Christ is truly present in bread and wine at Mass. While the sacrament of holy orders does not preserve the ordained from weakness and sin, the Holy Spirit guarantees that the minister's sin does not impede the effectiveness of the sacrament and its graces. So one of, one of the ones is we get in this and we even dealing with the scandal, there are bad priests, there are bad bishops, only good deacons though. And um, so <laughs> they are. But one of the ones, we, uh, an example that I heard, it really makes sense is um, you may come across a doctor, a uh, medical doctor, who is in terrible shape, who smokes, who's obese, but who knows and looks at you and says, you need this antibiotic to get rid of your infection and prescribes you the medicine. The medicine is still good. He may not be the most perfect example of health, but he still administers what he needs to. And sometimes we could think about uh, when, we, when we run across priests that are not necessarily maybe the perfect examples of holiness, Christ still works through them. Christ still works through them. It goes back into when we heard this, and even Bishop Taylor said it, 
uh, on uh, <laughs> uh, we're not dependent on the people. It's uh, it, it, we cannot like our pastors, we cannot like our bishop, and, and and that's okay. But don't let that interfere with our relationship with God. Don't let it refer defer from our relationship with the sacraments. And that's easier said than done because sometimes we get distracted or let our emotions get in play. But think about that when it happens and realize I need to take a step back and say, me accepting this sacrifice or me accepting this sacrament is about me and Christ and about the whole body, not about this one person that I may have an issue with. Let me talk about the origin of priest, bishop, and deacon. Um, as we read on the Acts, in the Acts of the Apostles and the letters of the New Testament, we learn that the apostles took on a leadership role in, in the early Christian communities. Uh, and they represented Christ in those communities. In Luke 10, 16, Jesus says to his representative, whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me and rejects the one who sent me. When the apostles started to die, they appointed successors who became known as bishops. Bishops acted as overseers of the first Christian communities. When the apostles were still alive, they appointed some men to assist them, especially in caring for the needy. These men became known as deacons. In the uh, first letter of Timothy 3, uh, Paul outlines the qualifications needed for bishops and deacons, indicating that these two ministries had become established in the early decades of the church. Interesting enough, I remember reading at one point, it was uh, in, with our church history, is that some men did not want to, uh, as they got, got uh, they get, when they became deacons, and then they, were, they basically refused to get ordained as priests, saying... <laughs> Basically, is well, I'll become less important to my community as a priest, so uh, things may be changed. <laughs> so, uh, but it's interesting. Is is it was about the the bishops and then the deacons to serve that, and the priests actually kind of filled in a little bit later on. The development of order of priest is kind of less clear in the New Testament. Uh, by the end of the first century, three roles or offices of leadership and service came to be recognized by local Christian communities, bishops, presbyters, and deacons. Um, and in fact, in 110, uh, 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 St. Ignatius of Antioch, whose saint day we just celebrated, I exhort you to try and do all things with divine harmony. While your bishop presides in the one place of God and your presbyters in the place of the assembly of the apostles, along with your deacons, who are most dear to me, you were entrusted with the ministry of Jesus Christ. Also, certain New Testament verses testify to the beginning of what became known as the Sacrament of Holy Orders. For example, also in 1 Timothy 3, Paul speaks about the office of bishop being a worthy way to serve God's people. In the second letter of Timothy, he speaks about the laying on of hands. And in the letter to Titus, Paul directs his collaborator Titus to ordain priests to assist the church in Crete. And let's take a look a little bit more. I'm going to talk just a few minutes or just a 
brief one on each one of those. Uh, church teachings speak of the bishop as having the fullness of the priesthood. And this does not mean that he has more priesthood than any other layperson or a priest or a deacon. Rather, it's not, he, he's not necessarily, you would hope that he was you know, a, a top-notch example of holiness. But that's not what it's referring to. Uh, it has the, the fullness of the responsibility of holy orders is what that means in the fullness of priesthood. Through the ordination rite, the priesthood becomes the bishop becomes the successor to the original apostles and takes on all the responsibilities Christ entrusted to them, teacher, shepherd, guardian of the flock, and the gospel of Christ. A bishop is ordained by a, another bishop who must be assisted by two other consecrating bishops. Every bishop belongs to the College of Bishops, and with them and in union with the Bishop of Rome, the Pope, he has responsibility for the entire mission of the church. He usually oversees a territory called a diocese. A bishop is the ordinary mission of confirmation, which can be delegated to priests. And only a bishop can ordain priests and deacons. He also blesses the sacred oils used in the sacraments. Now, a priest is a co-worker of the bishop. And when a, bishop ordain, uh, when a bishop ordains a priest, he is extending to him a portion of his apostolic authority. This makes a priest a co-worker with the bishop of the diocese. With the bishop, priests are responsible for preaching and teaching the gospel, shepherding God's people, and leading the community in worship, especially in the celebration of the Eucharist, which will be talked about next week. The priest promises obedience to the bishop and service of God's people. And then we have the permanent deacons. Deacons receive the sacrament of holy orders from a bishop and ordained not to ministerial, ministerial priesthood, but to the ministry of service. Through ordination, the deacon is conformed to Christ who came to serve and not to be served. Deacons can baptize, bless marriages, preside at funerals, proclaim the gospel, preach and dedicate themselves to other works of charity. The church has transitional deacons, like we talked about, who are men on their way to priesthood. And permanent deacons. Both married and single men can be ordained to the permanent diaconate, which is good for me since I am married. There are restrictions, though. There are restrictions. Is that essentially now that I have started my journey on, on the diaconate, uh, I, can, uh, I am never allowed to remarry. Um, and in fact, if I had started this journey without being married, I would not be allowed to marry later on. It was, uh, I remember one deacon was talking. He says, boy, now, now that I realize that... Uh, that uh, I can't remarry, I am sure taking good care of my wife. So, <laughs> um, the essential or central rite of ordination ceremony for bishops, priests, and deacons occur when the bishop lays hands on the head of the person being ordained and invokes a special prayer of consecration during which he asks God for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and his gifts upon the ordained so that he may serve God and the people with love and fidelity. 
Fourth point, and I'm only going to go really super quick on this one, and then we'll go on to the fifth point. Uh, the fourth point is who may be ordained. Uh, and the reason I'm only going to go really quick on this is because you could go a long talk on some of the categories and aspects dealing with this. For instance, we could say the celibacy of the priesthood. Now there's a lot of you know, discussion and there's a lot of going back and forth, but that is, that, that is something that at this point, for the most part, that uh, the celibacy is considered. There are rites within the Roman Catholic Church that do allow their priests to marry. Byzantine rite, which is the Byzantine order within the Roman Catholic Church. They are allowed. A lot of them still don't get married. A lot of them still choose celibacy because as because of uh, Christ's outpouring of those, well, the, those um, in the scriptures you read about how he, he elevates those who give themselves up to the Lord. Another point of discussion we're not really going to go into is the fact that it, uh, and I've kind of said this, he who gets ordained, uh, and it's male only. Ordination is male only. There's a lot of reason behind that and going back, but uh, a lot of the, the one that get, uh, talks about priest is the priest is the, is the personification of Christ, and Christ was a man. And then there's a lot more other reasons that go on. Well, we'll stop there because and, and, we could actually go on and on and on about that, back and forth. But the conditions essentially to receive holy orders... The candidate must be a male baptized Catholic. The candidate must be in a state of grace. He must have a prescribed age and learning going through the prop. And I'm going through my learning right now, four more years of it. Uh, by the way, prescribed age is um, for a priest. It's 25. Uh, waivers do happen. Uh, and for a permanent deacon, it's 35. Which actually, I remember when Byron was first considering it, he was backing up and figuring out, yeah, I'll be there. Yeah. So um, it's all going to work out for him. Person must have the intention of devoting his life to the sacred ministry, free from coercion. Uh, I, I said when I talked about permanent deacon, it's a ministry of service. You have to understand that you really are doing a ministry of service. And that is how you want to spend your life. And then must be called to the holy orders by his bishop or proper uh, superior. Uh, we'll go ahead. Um, but it is, it, part of it is, is you go through the proper process. You get the proper education. But you do it of your own free will and you go through a discernment process because it needs to mean. We'll go on. The last of the fifth points, and cover this kind of brief, well, not too long, is the effects and graces of the sacrament of holy orders. And holy orders, like the sacrament of baptism and confirmation, confers an indelible spiritual character, often called a seal, on the soul of the recipient. Each of the three, sacrament, uh, the three sacraments baptism, confirmation, holy orders, configured the recipient to Christ in a special way, enabling him to act for the Lord in his threefold office of priest, prophet, and king. These three sacraments can only be received once each, and it results in an increase of sanctifying grace, 
sacramental grace through which the priest received God's constant help in his sacred ministry, and in lasting indelible character, which is a special sharing uh, in the priesthood of Christ and which gives the priest special supernatural powers. Actually, specifically, it facilitates Christ performing those supernatural powers through the priest who is the persona of Christ. Um, it's it's uh, when um, the priest lifts up the uh, wine and the wafer and they become the body of Christ. That's not the priest. That's Christ through the, pre through the priest. And there are the hierarchical abilities per level of ordination, which we kind of talked about in a little bit. Uh, a little bit ago. The indelible character enables the priest to celebrate Eucharist and to represent Christ as head of the church and to act in name of the whole church, to change the bread and wine into body and blood of Christ, and to forgive sins in the sacrament of presence, penance. Which kind of leaves, if this is a permanent um, indelible mark, what happens when a priest leaves the priesthood? which happens. Um, it actually uh, was hearing some of the statistics and it, it actually is a little more common. I thought that as you go through the whole thing, within those first few years of becoming a priest, it actually is not uncommon for a priest to leave the priesthood, which is something I hadn't realized. But those who do leave it, or are those maybe who are forbidden to exercise their priestly duties, or who has been laicized, is still a priest. They're a priest forever. In cases of emergency, they can even still hear confession and administer the anointing of the sick. But, but for those reasons, they're not allowed to do that for because they've left the priesthood or anything. But that mark is permanently on them. They're just not, they're just not allowed to exercise those. Because... But since it is ultimately Christ who acts in the sacraments through the ordained minister, the sinfulness or unworthiness of the ordained person does not prevent Christ from giving up his graces in these sacraments. So kind of what we said a little bit ago about even if it's not necessarily someone we think is a good person, it's not that person who does it. And, um, St. Augustine, uh, the spiritual power of the sacraments is indeed comparable to light. Those to be enlightened, receive it in its purity, and it should pass it through it, if it should pass through defiled beings, it is itself not defiled. The Holy Spirit offers each bishop, priest, and deacon the graces and gifts necessary to live a holy life and to faithfully carry out the duties of his state in life. Having said that, ordination, ordination does not automatically confer holiness. Holiness is the lifelong call of every baptized person. It only occurs when one generously cooperates with the movement of the Holy Spirit in one's life. Um, we were down at the, uh, last June, the ordination mass down in Little Rock. And Bishop Taylor uh, said it right then. He said, uh, talked about the process he said the ordination changes the nature not the person we still have to be deal with being human uh, <laughs> and uh, to to his point is uh, all all those things which 
uh, pull at us, which point us in the wrong direction, they still impact the person. We still have to deal with it. Hopefully, one finds their center quicker, keeps on the right path longer. But we're all still human. And of course, we all do set our own expectations on those who are ordained and assume that they need to be perfect. Which, of course, if I make it to ordination, <laughs> you won't have any of those expectations at all. So <laughs> there's one final thing I wanted to share, and I, and I just heard this the other day. So I was listening. I hadn't heard this before, but it was just amazing to me. So I was listening to Father Rocky on Relevant Radio. And uh, did uh, anybody um, see him when he was here? A little, yeah. Is an uh, amazing man. But the interesting thing to me is uh, they were talking about guardian angels. And he talked about, you know, he was talking about everybody has their guardian angel. And they were talking about whether we, you know, do we name them or not name them. And it's like, it, you know, they may let us know their name, but it, they're not a pet. We don't name them. Um, uh, but the one thing he brought up that was interesting, he said, when one is ordained one receives a second guardian angel. Wow. A second, the one you have at birth is your personal guardian angel. When you, the second guardian angel that you receive in ordination is for your ministry, for your flock. And they're there to help us, guide us, and we should call on them. And like I said earlier, if, uh, if the Lord's path takes me all the way to ordination, that will be uh, an incredible, incredible road, an incredible path, and something that is uh, truly overwhelming. But uh, that's what Holy Orders means to me. That's what Holy Orders means to me. So thank you all very much. You've been listening to Truth of the Spirit with Patty Bruner and the series on the Eucharist and other sacraments. And we'll continue with this series. Please tune in next week for the next episode. And please check the website, patriarchministries.com, to get some more details that was presented in the talk in this episode. Check the box and subscribe. It's free and have those episodes delivered directly to your listening device. Bless you. I'm Patty Bruner, and you've been listening to Truth of the Spirit. This is the Padua Podcast Network, padawamedia.com.